0: Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today we have a repeat guest. Uh, this was one of our very first guests on the podcast. It's still one of our most popular episodes to date, which is impressive. This episode of the e commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce. And we are thrilled to underwrite this program and bring some amazing guests to you. I have a question for you. How is your YouTube game? Are you using YouTube to help scale your e-commerce business? Hopefully, you're using YouTube both as a remarketing vehicle and also for top-of-funnel growth. However, if you're like most e-commerce companies, then you're probably not fully leveraging YouTube. So, I have two free resources for you. The first is a two-minute crash course on YouTube ads. I recorded this with the famous Ezra Firestone. So you can check that out by looking at the links in the show notes to this show. You can also Google Smart Marketer and two-minute crash course, and you'll find the resource there. Also, we recorded a 90-minute webinar outlining exactly how we scale with YouTube. We talk about keys to a great YouTube ad. We talk about audience targeting. We talk about bidding, optimization, and much, much more. So I highly, highly recommend you check it out. You can also find that linked here in the show notes. It's also at the bottom of the two-minute crash course page. So check them out and start scaling with YouTube. And now, back to the show. Today on the show, we have Mr. Frederick Valais. And talk about an impressive resume. Ah, uh, Frederick's a former Googler. He's a former Google AdWords evangelist. When he was at Google, he was one of the first 500 employees there. But he helped start AdWords Editor. He was also there when they acquired Urchin. Which, for you Google nerds, you know exactly what that means. But for those that don't, uh, Urchin is the platform that became Google According Analytics. To
1: Wikipedia, nerd and as a uh, and Frederick was also processor.
0: Frederick was also on the uh, Quality Score team, which is awesome. And so now he's the founder of Optimizer, one of the leading PPC software tools. It's an amazing tool. And now he's the author of a brand new book that I just bought a couple of days ago. As soon as I saw it was out, I bought it. uh, And it's titled AI. Yeah, you bet. (laughs) AI is the Future of Marketing. So with that, yeah, there it is. So if you're watching the video, there it is. There's a copy of the book right there. You got to get it. (laughs) where everything is headed. and it's, it's got pages. It's a real actual it's book. It's not just like a, a PDF download, which is kind of cool these days. Yeah, yeah. And diagrams and all kinds of fun stuff. So with that, Frederick, man, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. And welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. And
1: uh, apologies for, uh, as you were talking about Google, my assistant picked up and started giving the definition of what a nerd is. (laughs) Um, So, that's what was Uh, going on
0: uh, Honestly, that's like the most perfect interruption for this show possible. We're talking about AI and machine learning and your your assistant, your virtual assistant, and I mean virtual in the most literal sense, since I I chimed in. So, yeah, it's always good. I don't have one of my Alexa devices here, or I don't have a Google Home either (laughs) in my office, but... I did, I'm sure it would go off a lot. Siri does um, go off frequently. Yeah. Don't say that name too much because you uh, might be listening to, I've got both of them right here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'll, I'll try to keep that on the down low. So uh, what I'd like to do, Frederick, I mean, I, I kind of talked about a few of the things you did at Google, but, but just talk about that a little bit. for the, I know everyone is kind of interested. You know what, what was that like working for Google? What did you do? Uh, and, and when was this? When were you at Google?
1: Yeah. So I joined him in 2002. I graduated from Stanford in 2000 and didn't quite see the light. I mean, I thought this whole Google thing was kind of weird where you'd go to a website and the only thing on it was a search box.
0: And <laughs> yeah. this was the time of exciting. So revolutionary, man, because every other yeah. site was packing the homepage with ads and text and all kinds of stuff. And their thought exactly. was to make as simple and clean as you possible. You had
1: to be a directory uh, to be popular back then, and, yeah. and Google just sort of saw the light, and I didn't catch on to it in the beginning. Um, so had another job, and then the dot-com bubble imploded uh, around that time, so I ended up needing a new job. And then I was like, oh, this Google thing seems to be catching on, even though I don't necessarily understand why.
0: Right, right.
1: And then, uh, I joined, and yeah, it It was just fantastic. And the reason I joined is actually because I'm originally from Belgium. So I speak Dutch and they were launching AdWords into its sixth language at the time, I believe. Um, So they had done like Italian, French, Spanish, et cetera. Didn't have to go into Dutch. So they needed someone who was local, close to the headquarters who could do the translation and also start uh, obviously supporting customers because once you had the website in Dutch, they expected to get their answers in Dutch if they wrote into support. And then we had all these Dutch ads coming through the system. So somebody had to sit there and review them for relevance. Um, so like, I was the original quality score system for the Dutch market, if you will, because I, I got to say if your ad was relevant enough or not.
0: That's awesome. That's so cool. Uh, one of the, the things that I, I, I picked this up off your your Twitter feed, something that was really interesting that said, while, while you were working for Google, you had a client meeting where uh, a lady that was in the meeting, the client was falling asleep. During your presentation, and it wasn't because your presentation was boring. Because, as everyone will see soon, like the stuff you talk about is really good. Uh, but it came to be known that this client was getting up at six a.m. to turn the ads on, staying up till midnight to turn them off, and so she fell because she was exhausted. So you guys built ad schedules, and uh, uh, as a result, so that that was a great that was a great. Yeah, exactly, story.
1: we figured. I mean, there's got to be a way to automate this simple, repetitive task. And yes. And so it's kind of crazy too when you look at the early days of Google, right? So I joined in 2002. AdWords was fairly nascent at the time. And, um, you know, there was this whole premise that online advertising delivers results, it's more measurable. And yes, it was more measurable than plastering a billboard up on like some freeway. But people didn't know what the actual queries were, right? So you bought keywords, but you didn't know what the user was typing in. Right, right. There was no conversion tracking. So you kind of knew that you were getting a lot of clicks and these clicks were not necessarily very expensive back then. But what came out of these clicks? Well, you kind of saw that your website was selling, but you couldn't correlate things. And so those were the very early things that I started working on because I actually started doing a bit of online advertising myself and I was very frustrated by the lack of transparency when I knew it was not that difficult to get it if you knew a little bit of programming. So I built my own search terms report i built my own conversion tracker um, and then they were like yeah that's kind of cool we probably should have this for more advertisers yeah um, and then i kind of started consulting with the product team and, and that's how it all grew into kind of an evangelist role where it was really about connecting what the engineering team is building and how it applies to the real world of real advertisers spending real money and and also being very time constrained right i mean yeah we we know what we should be doing but we only have that many hours in the day so we need absolutely,
0: the tools. absolutely. We don't have time for all the minutiae and we need we need tools and systems and machine learning to to help us out. No doubt. So, uh, really cool. Now, when when did you become an entrepreneur? When when did that kind of strike? And and what were what was yeah, your first?
1: I mean, you? <clears throat> I guess I was uh, an entrepreneur from a very young age, uh, very much dabbling, not anything serious. But my first foray into starting a company was actually during college. Um, I think it was my sophomore year. We started a precursor uh, to StubHub, and so, the, uh, so it was called funtix The idea was there, but the logistics were somewhat complicated. Still, um, you know, in terms there were no digital tickets at the time, so everything had to be physically transacted. So we had to collect the tickets ensure they were real, deliver them. So it was uh, a huge logistics problem. We just didn't have the you know, the funding to make it work. Um, and then a couple of years later, StubHub came in and really killed it. But yeah, uh, yeah that was my first one.
0: Um, i sure you learned a ton from that experience.
1: Yeah, exactly. Learned a ton. And then when I left Google 10 years after I joined in 2012, um, I was doing consulting for a bit. Obviously, that was the easiest way for me to make money. Sure. After having been at Google for so long, but uh, very quickly got to understand that I was spending so much time talking to people about what they should do in Google Ads but I had very little time left to actually execute on these strategies. And so I looked at tools and I found the tools very expensive or they were not doing exactly what I wanted it to do. They were too cookie cutter. Um, and I had the engineering background, so I just started writing scripts primarily. Um, and through those scripts, was publishing them on Search Engine Land. A couple of people reached out to me and they said, hey, this is kind of cool. We're doing something similar, but using the API. And uh, and these ended up becoming my co founder So we really hit it off, and thought we were trying to solve the same problem, and uh, and put the, the company together. So
0: yeah, um, it's really great. And that, that company became Optimizer, which is a, is a fantastic piece of software, always evolving. It's won awards. It's it's really really powerful. So we'll we'll get into some of the details of that in, in a little bit as we go. Uh, most of this conversation, just kind of as a as a heads up for those that are listening in, is. You know, we're really going to be looking at where where is AI, where is machine learning taking uh, marketing, and where should we as marketers, as business owners, as advertisers, as you know, probably got some agencies that are listening in, what does this mean for us? And so, uh, w- want to dive into a few things. One one topic that I thought was really interesting. You talked quality score, and that you were there from the very beginning, especially implementing that for the Dutch market. So y- you made a, a comment that. Quality score was yesterday's black box, meaning advertisers in the beginning could see quality score, but had no idea what it meant. You know, totally black box type stuff. Today, AI is the black box. So talk that through a little bit and maybe just quickly. I think a lot of people know what quality score is, but explain what it is just briefly and, and explain that, that comment, if you would.
1: Yeah, so I mean... Uh... So when I was the original quality score, I was actually, I was doing it manually, right? So Google had to manually uh, determine if a keyword was relevant to the ads that were showing for it, uh, because the whole point for Google was ads are information too, and they need to be just as useful as the organic results. But then we very quickly realized, well, I'm not an expert in every single niche product that's out there. So who am I as the Dutch guy? I'm actually Belgian, right? But I speak Dutch. Yeah, yeah. Who am I to make these decisions? And so we started looking at click-through rate. And so it was the wisdom of the crowds now being applied to say, Absolutely. okay, yeah. yep. so this keyword is just getting it a really- Almost nice kind of goes view.
0: back to Google's roots, right? The, 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 the surgeon was built on looking at backlinks to determine exactly. you know, quality of sites and, and letting letting the marketplace kind of be the, the biggest signal. And that's what click-through rate is, is you know sort of uh, a- Exactly.
1: And it was the marketplace as opposed to, you know the webmaster being able to game the yes. system. So it was the same sort of thing applied to ads. And then eventually that sort of became the first machine learning, artificial intelligence. And specifically when we talk about artificial intelligence, machine learning is a subset of that. And that's what was being used for quality scores. So it was always about, you know, now we've looked at historically how many clicks an ad gets to, to help us gauge relevance, but why don't we predict based on the current conditions of this auction, like what's the future potential for click through. And that really got into a machine learning project. Um, And so that, at the time was black box. We, we went through many iterations. And in some cases we were literally like, Hey, listen, advertiser, this is not a good keyword. We don't think it's relevant. We're not going to tell you why, but you know, good luck with the new keyword. And that was <laughs> yeah. very frustrating, right? Um, yeah. Because you as the advertiser, you might know this is actually a really good keyword. So, so here was a good example. Hmm. I think it was Netflix. So Netflix comes to us one day and says, why do I have uh, like why is my Netflix keyword disapproved basically on relevance reasons by the quality score mechanism and we said well actually when we looked at the historical click-through rate it's very low for so your ad Netflix for the keyword Netflix really bad why because your SEO is so good everybody's clicking on the SEO organic listing, right so there was a disconnect and, and so there was frustration because people couldn't do anything so over time We played with many ways to give transparency into the black box, and now eventually that became like a score of 1 through 10, uh, or not applicable through 10, Um, and we tell you, or Google tells you the subcomponents of quality score, but it was about helping you understand if the machine learning didn't like it, what were sort of the underlying reasons, and what could you perhaps go and try to fix?
0: Yeah. And, and I love it. And it's still, uh, interestingly enough, uh, sort of an under leveraged tool that I found. I talked, talked to Google ad specialists and business owners that maybe aren't really looking at their quality score. And it's one of those things where now you can see, you know, based on those three components of quality score, landing page, relevance, ad relevance, and click through rate or expect to click through rate. You, you can see what's, what's up to snuff and what's not, you know, what's average or above average or below and, and know kind of what you need to, to tweak. Um, but it, but it is somewhat under leveraged. So, right. And
1: then when you were tweaking it, the problem was Google wouldn't give you the historical quality score back in yes. the day. So that was literally the first tool that we built, that I built as a script, that my partners built as an API solution, where you could say, okay, now I've gone and made these changes that I think are the right thing, but mm-hmm. I don't know unless I take a, a picture from the day that I changed it and I keep tracking it. So now we have a tool that you just loaded up and it says oh yeah on this day your quality score went up probably for these reasons.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, let's let's dive into AI in the future of marketing and you know highlight some things from your book which which is super fascinating. But but first I got to ask uh, why a book? You know that book writing books is is hard. Um I've written a number of articles and guides and things like that, and that's tough enough, but writing a book is another level. So what what inspired you to to, uh, turn this into a book?
1: Yeah, so it all came from a bunch of blog posts I did on Search Engine Land. Um, I did one blog post on what artificial intelligence and machine learning was going to do to our industry. And I started writing, and I kept writing, and I kept writing, and eventually it was like 5,000 words. And so I was like, well, this is probably three blog posts. So I, I split cool. it up now. And these three blog posts end up being like the top red ones on search engine land, um, specifically in the PPC category as a contributed post. So these were not news, but these were kind of like the op-ed pieces.
0: Sure.
1: I'm like, okay, well, clearly this is resonating with people. Absolutely. Um, I've got a lot to say. And then I was like, okay, um, because we also find a lot of people read those blog posts, but then... Every time I'm out there talking to people, they're like, "Oh, this is a cool concept. I've never heard about that." So, it just the more you can put the message out there, um, the more people will be exposed to it. And I think this is important, right? I mean, this is the future of the industry, the future of careers as PPC specialists. Um, and if you don't, if you don't change in time, you're going to be left behind. And so, what Absolutely. should you be thinking about?
0: That's Love it. And, and so, I think it might be helpful just, just really briefly, to define. AI and machine learning, because because machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence, but but just quick definition in in terms of, you know, how you define it or how you, you know, kind of put an umbrella over that.
1: Right. And, and the third term here, I guess, is automation, right? So yeah. people like to talk about automation in PPC. So AI is actually very old. AI was developed or coined as a term in the 1950s, I believe. Um And so artificial intelligence is really any system that you can use to convince another human that the machine is doing something, quote unquote, intelligent. So if you write a simple logical rule that says, if my keyword has more than one conversion, um, increase the bid by 10%. Very simple, stupid rule, probably not not a good rule to put in, (laughs) but you've kind of developed an artificial intelligence, right? Because you're making the machine seem like it's doing something that a human would have done. Um, Okay, so now machine learning, this is a a subset of AI, Um, it's kind of one of the more popular ones these days, and it's looking at big data sets and figuring out what's the signal, right? What what is it from all of this data, whether they are click-throughs or whether they are behavioral patterns, like what is it that we can glean that we can use to make predictions about the future? Um, And so the quality score system is that perfect example because we were looking at huge data sets of, okay... The user was located here. they did these searches they did they typed this into the box. it was this time of day they were using this type of device what is what historically happened, and how do we use that to predict what will happen for this particular search that they've done yep. and so that so when, the, when those
0: when those conditions exist in the future when signals similar to that are present in the future, we, we know we can predict the outcome
1: exactly and so you get like if you think about real estate and Zillow the way that they tell you the, the, the estimate of your house, the, the likely yep. price of your house, that's fairly linear, right? So you say, okay, well, a five-bedroom versus a three-bedroom in a certain zip code, right? There's uh, you, you either have a three, a four, or a five-bedroom house. There's no in-between. When it comes to ad clicks, on the other hand, it's a little bit more nuanced, right? You're not exactly going to see the exact same conditions again. Um, and so it becomes much more predicting like what in-between points are going to be there. So, how much does the geography of the user influence the overall prediction versus maybe the device type? And they can have different weights. And then there's different ways of doing machine learning. So, we with an optimizer have used different models, um, right? But uh, some work better for certain applications. And it's very statistical. It's very math-driven, right? So, some people I think misunderstand and think, "Oh, well, automation is just there. Machine learning is just there." But no, it's it's actually Really hardcore statistics that somebody had to build um, and it keeps evolving too right so you start seeing hey maybe it should use a different methodology to make its predictions and that's that's still being built by humans
0: right right got it um, very interesting so so right now uh, and I want to talk about what you see uh, you know on the horizon a little bit but right now what are the specific use cases specific instances where AI and machine learning are are really impacting marketing today?
1: Yeah, I mean, so if you look specifically at search engine marketing, some very recent examples would be match types. So the close variant of any keyword match type, that's basically machine learning in action. So so specifically in September of last year, Google said, even if you have an exact match keyword, we may still show your ad if we deduce that it's, quote-unquote, same meaning, right? So the words don't have to be the same, but the intent has to be the same. And that's based on machine learning, right? So they figure out, okay, if somebody typed in campsite and campground, different words, but kind of alluding to the same thing. So maybe that is the same intent. And that's based on a lot of machine learning. Or
0: or includes potentially misspellings and plural versus singular and some some of those things as well.
1: Exactly. So yeah, and and so for closed close variant, if you haven't heard about it, it's been around since 2014, um, and it started out as misspellings, plurals, stemmings, the stuff where we could by and large agree that it was kind of the right thing to do, right? The uh, Britney Spears can be misspelled something like 497 right. ways. <laughs> if I'm selling Britney Spears posters or tickets, I don't want to have to put in all 500 right. misspellings. That makes sense. Yep. That's great. Um, right. But, but so then, then you get into stuff like uh, th- this was an example I saw on a Google slide, but. Uh, floral arrangements is your keyword. And then they might deduce that arranging flowers is kind of the same meaning of your exact keyword. Well, I would argue that's not the same meaning, right? right. If you're do, putting in floral arrangements, you're probably shopping for one. If you're typing in arranging flowers, you're probably a do-it-yourselfer are yeah. not going to buy from a florist. Yep. Um, and so that's where the machine learning is trying to figure this out, doing the best it can, but it's not always going to get it right. Um, And that's where I think humans need to play that still, you know, active role and oversee the machine and make sure it's actually staying within certain boundaries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about smart bidding? And and just a, a quick explanation. I think most people probably understand what smart bidding is, but, but Google specifically, we're focusing most of this conversation on, on Google ads. You know, Google has target return on ad spend where you give Google your goal of 300%, 400%, 500% and, and, the machine's pretty good at, at bidding up and bidding down to hit that return mm-hmm. on ad spend. You also have target CPA if you're trying to hit a certain cost per conversion or cost per acquisition. Uh, there's a few others that, that uh, I don't like as much, maximize clicks, maximize conversions. But um, h- how do you feel about smart bidding and, and how have you seen that improve or progress over the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's improved tremendously. Um, and that's just a curve of machine learning and, and automation in general, right? So Moore's law says that computing power doubles roughly every 18 months. Um, now, keep in mind, we've been doing this doubling since the 1950s when AI was invented, about 27 times. Uh, back in the early days, when you were doubling computing power, you basically no, it basic, it didn't register because it was such small enhancements. But now we're at like the stage where it's really advanced. And 18 months from now, it's going to be twice as good again. And so it's just mind-blowing how much better it gets in every single cycle. Um, And so I I think some of the reasons that people should really think about using smart bidding from Google is that Google has more data than anyone, especially when it comes to the generic stuff like geolocation, devices, time of day. Right. So, but where Google doesn't have as much data is potentially about your business. And so, what smart bidding, by the way, does is it just simply tries to predict, based on the circumstances, what is the likely conversion rate, uh, conversion rate for TCPA target CPA, and the likely conversion value, for the target ROAS bidding. Right. So it's basically an extension of what the quality score system used to be, and its job was to predict CTR. Right? So these systems predict conversion rate and conversion value. Um, and you know I, I think they've started working quite well, but what they don't necessarily see is factors that relate to your business. Um, and so at one point in quality score, and I tell the story in the book, but at one point we started looking at does the lunar cycle impact quality score? Does it impact click-through rate? Yep. And we found that no, it did not on a system-wide basis. So we said, let's not use this as part of the quality score mechanism. However, I was not- you to-
0: tested it. That's interesting.
1: Exactly, you gotta test it, but, but here's the point, right? So if you are um, a psychic, a tarot card reader, um, if you have a maternity ward, yes. um, and a maternity ward example, I didn't come up with myself, but I was talking to someone and they were like, yeah, actually a lot of babies are born- Yep, yep. Lunar cycles, yep. who knew?
0: I hear hear it Um, makes a difference.
1: Exactly, but if if you actually figure out that makes a difference for your business, you have to supplement these automated bidding systems from Google with something that you know. So you can say, oh, we know it's a full moon. So we are going to see a much higher than typical conversion rate. So let's increase our target CPA bid because Google may not catch up, catch on to the fact quickly enough uh, that this is going to be a really great evening for us. We're going to have a lot of sales, right? So we need to get, way in place to make the system more aggressive to fully capture all that potential. Yep. Um, and the, the tricky thing, by the way, is so Google then sees, oh, there's a spike in conversion rate, and now they think, oh, that's going to persist.
0: Yeah. They're actually
1: yeah. overbidding by the time that the event that was causing the conversion uh, spike is done. Yep. Um, yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think this is where, and just our commentary, our, our perspective on smart bidding, it's actually pretty stellar you know often and because there's also you know google says hey they, they look at 70 million signals or something like that all calculated within milliseconds and they they apply they adjust bids at the auction level so individual user level so that they're leveraging some things that we don't see so we see it working really well and especially over the last couple of years it's worked uh, it's improved dramatically just because of the mountains of data that now the system has that they can they can work with but to your point uh, absolutely you can't in my opinion, and this is the way we do it, you need a mix of some smart bidding campaigns that are kind of your bread and butter and, and can you know, really free up your time. And then some manual campaigns where you can go out and say, Oh, this is a quick sales event. We're going to capitalize on it. Machines mm-hmm. not going to have time to really react and, and things like that. So a combination of smart bidding and manual bidding. Um, so that... And, and I love the way you put that. There's things that Google doesn't know about your business, can't know about your business. You need to influence that. And let Google leverage what they can leverage.
1: And the other thing, Brett, is like, you know, advertisers or the the companies might look at an agency, right? Or they might look at their in-house PPC team and they might say, well, what what are you guys doing? Like, isn't everything automated? Isn't (laughs) automation working pretty well? And like you said, yeah, it's pretty stellar. But you have something like seven or eight options just within Google to choose from. And you said, well, you put two of these together based on a strategy. And that's like the, the value that humans still bring, right? Is yes. knowing what's the medicine to prescribe for your specific problem. Yep. Um, and, and I call it the doctor analogy, like PPC specialists are becoming like doctors. We hear what the patient wants to achieve, what the problem is. And we know the different medicines and we know that, hey, TCPA works really well. Maximize, uh, maximize clicks and, um, That's probably not a very smart one to use, right? It might work in certain cases, but.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting one. Yeah. And we have kind of some hacks we use maximize clicks for on occasion. Don't have time to get into it on the podcast today, but yeah, we've (laughs) seen maximize clicks. We're experimenting with it. You know, some bids going up to 80, 90, $100, you know, bid, which uh, you weren't paying that, but it was just that was just the system saying, hey, we're maximizing clicks. We're pushing the bid to astronomical. Levels, But but I love that analogy, the doctor analogy. Yeah, we don't accuse the doctor of, hey, you didn't do anything. It was the medicine. Well, okay. But the doctor knew which medicine to prescribe and what the actual issue was and what needed to be improved or changed. And so they prescribed it. And uh, Mm -hmm. I, I like that. I like that analogy a lot. Um, you talk about two levels of automation, right? So the so the first would be machine learning. And what we were just talking about now is your know, smart bidding from Google. So you got, that's kind of one level of automation. We implement that. We use target CPA or target ROAS depending on a uh, campaign type. But then the second level of automation is our own automation that we create to kind of keep the machine in check. Uh, I, I love that. Can Can you explain what you mean by that? And maybe an example of that.
1: Yeah, so it's a concept, uh, I call it automation layering. And so you have these automations from the engines, like smart bidding, uh, which is optional, so you can decide to use it or not. But you have others like closed variants, which you have to use if you're using any match type that basically comes with a package. Right. Right. So now what you do is you layer on top of these Google engine automations, your own workflow. And so there, there's a premise in the book. And this was you know, kind of Gary Kasparov, chess master, who uh, came up with this premise. But he said, humans plus machines are always better than the machine by itself. Yes. Um, and we've seen this in other examples. In weather forecasting, uh, wired.com was writing that you get a 25% uh, improvement in better forecasting if you have meteorologists actually looking at the computer models and choosing the correct model. Right? So this, this is well-established, that humans plus machines better than machines alone. But then I said, well, you know, the human in the equation is often just doing a repetitive process of checking that something's being done correctly, flagging potential issues and fixing those. So why don't humans use that second to their own automation, which could be as simple as an automated rule that says, hey, if we see the bid of an automated bid system going as high as $90, maybe we should flag that. Maybe we should go and take a look and make sure that's doing the right thing. Um, and that's still automation, right? That's not machine learning. It's not super advanced, but it's going to save you a ton of time, and it's going to prevent blowouts.
0: Mm, love it. And, and I think this could segue to this comment, which which I love. You know, I think a lot of times we think AI and machine learning, we think super super complex systems, which you know it makes sense. That we think that, but you also talk about automation can be simple, and and mm. sometimes with the simple stuff we can make huge advancements and, and big improvements to our campaigns and our efforts. Uh, talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, and again, I think it goes back to automated rules. And hey, there's like anomaly detection scripts, right? So are we getting the number of clicks and impressions that we typically get on a Wednesday by 11 o'clock in the morning, which it happens to be right now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, flag it if it's not working well, and then you know that that's automated. A human could not check the account twenty four hours a day and yep. still have time to do anything. Maybe, else. maybe,
0: maybe you're, we could, we could call your client that was doing the getting up at six a.m., going to bed at twelve midnight. You know, running right, exactly. off. Yeah, <laughs> other than her, uh, the rest of us don't want to do it. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, so that's a simple automation, and then you know, reducing wasted spend. So. We have an automation that we built um, on the rule engine. And it basically said says, let's find keywords that have a cost per acquisition that's more than 50% higher than the typical cost per acquisition. Uh, it's fairly simple, but it again flags things that are getting out of bounds and that needs some attention. And and this is actually really hard to do if you think about it, because a lot of people, when you say, tell me your CPA target or your ROAS target, they're like, well. I could tell you, but it's complicated. For my yes. brand campaign, it's this. For this campaign, yep, it's yep, that. Yep. And so, and then I was like, well, generally within the campaign, you kind of have similar things. So let's look at the campaign level performance and let's compare that to the keyword level performance within that campaign. And let's find like the deviation that we're willing to accept. And it's a simple concept. It's something you could simply do in Excel, but you have to pull in two sets of data. You have to do the VLOOKUP. So it becomes pretty repetitive, tedious, manual. And so you get to the point where you don't want to do it anymore. Now, if you have a simple automation that you build that says, pull in these two sets of data, automatically to run a macro to do the VLOOKUP, and then filter based on this criteria and send me an email, Mm -hmm. right? Now you've automated something that's really valuable to your business because it's going to prevent... Runaway spend, for example, and that's yep. so we've we made this even easier in the tool that we have. But if you don't want to pay for optimizer, I mean, then you have some Excel wizardry skills; you can put this together yourself as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and and it just totally makes sense. Where you're, you're building automation to alert you, to flag you, to to run some constant analysis, so that you can then make decisions, and you you can right. see. Things that you can decide upon, yeah.
1: Exactly. And that's the pilot analogy that I have in the book. So, um, you know, obviously we're not saving lives here, but, you know, a pilot only flies the plane a couple of minutes out of every flight and, and their main role in some way is to make sure that the sensors are capturing correct data because garbage in, garbage out. Um, and we saw what happened with the 737 MAX. Yes. Um, so it's kind of equate that to PPC. Well, if your conversion tracking pixel goes down for whatever reason, you have bad conversion rate data, your smart bidding system is going to reduce yep. your bids. Yep. But by the way, I mean, if people are still using last click attribution and doing smart bidding, like that's, that's a recipe for disaster.
0: Absolutely. Could not agree more. Um, right. And this this may get a, a touch nerdy, but do, do you have a, a favorite attribution model or, or maybe? Favorite attribution model for different scenarios. So maybe like a service-based business versus versus e com and and then this, you know, podcast is all about e-commerce. But uh, preferred attribution models or or things that people need to consider as they're saying, okay, oh no, I am actually last click. I need to move away from that. Should mm-hmm. go time decay or linear or position-based. Do you have Do you have a favorite?
1: No, so I mean, I think time decay is like the easiest one to transition to. It's the most yeah. similar to last click, right. but it still gives value to the early interactions. Yep. Um, data-driven, obviously, if you have the volume required for it, that's the most sophisticated, yep, and that yep. one fully relies on machine learning. Um, right? And it also depends a little bit how strong your brand is and how much you're willing to invest um, right. in those really early things. So that might be more position-based.
0: Position-based, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah If you yeah. need to build your brand, yeah.
0: Yep, I would agree. Yeah, we, we typically transition to time decay first because it is easy. It still gives credit to every... Interaction, but but with more weight to uh, to recency, Um, but but position based is interesting where it gives you know more credit to the first click, more to the last click, and then a little bit less in the middle. It's kind of interesting if you're wanting to be aggressive with those prospecting efforts and cold traffic efforts, then then that can make sense as well. Exactly,
1: and um, then that's like um, the the whole point about last click attribution is that you if you assign no weight to the initial upper funnel engagement then your funnel is just going to get narrower and narrower and you're yeah. going to get fewer sales out at the bottom. So like you're saying, this is kind of the opposite of that where you give a lot of credit to your upper mm-hmm. funnel. Um, so probably a good one if you want to go after pretty aggressive growth because if yeah. you're not getting people in at the start, they're not going to consider you down the funnel.
0: Yep. Yep. If you get too aggressive there, you'll, you'll only end up with brand and remarketing campaigns. Mm-hmm. And then there's not much to fuel it. And we see this all the time. We, we talk about marketing portfolios, uh, I think that that creates a good analogy where we're looking at hey, at the the top of the funnel, you're going to have lower return on ad spend goals, right? You're not going to convert as much or you're going to have higher CPA targets. You're going to need to spend more per per conversion. Um, but then those goals are going to change as you get lower. But if you cut off that top of the funnel, the whole thing shrinks. And we, we've seen that. We've seen that with clients time and time again. And we would have one now uh, that I won't mention their category, their e-commerce, but that kind of Hit a rough patch in a few ways, and so they're they're like micromanaging, and you know every single keyword they want to hit a certain metric, and so we're just letting them know, hey, like some of these keywords are feeding the top of your funnel. We can see it, um, and we've we've since followed their advice, cut bids, and now sales are down four yeah. or five thousand dollars a day because of it. Um, and we, just, we see it all the time.
1: And like you're saying, I mean, that's the portfolio mentality, right? So or what they're doing is the opposite. But what you should do is have the portfolio mentality where, you know, we need to, especially in machine learning, right, let the machine figure out where to allocate between the different opportunities. But where this is getting tricky, and I'm sure you have a lot of opinions on this too, is about the incrementality. So, So if you're using more of these smart shopping campaign type setups where Google can spend any amount of budget from within your budget to remarketing, are they just capturing the easy sales where it was the SEO team that drove a lot of that early engagement and now you're just closing the deal?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, it's tricky. And and, and, and smart shopping is one of that's definitely one Google is pushing hard for and, and reps are pushing hard for, which makes sense that the, they need the data and they want to. But yeah, we've, we've got pretty mixed feelings on it. It uh, uh, can work in some cases for sure, but not, not really a... Uh, a go-to for us at this point. Um, smart bidding, yes. S- smart shopping, not as much. Um, cool. So let's let's talk about a, a, a couple of things. Um, one, where what what are some of the the changes changes that we're allowed to talk about uh, that coming to Google Ads that you're most excited about? And you can talk specifics or generalities. It's up to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think from the GML event that happened um, earlier this year, I'm quite excited to see the new inputs that we're getting into smart bidding. Mm. And here's a misunderstanding I think a lot of people have, right? So smart bidding, automated bidding? No, not exactly, right? The thing that smart bidding automates is the prediction of the uh, conversion rate or the conversion value. And based on that, it sets the CPC bid, which the auction requires. But there's still a huge human role to be played based on your seasonality, based on promotions Mm. you're going to have. And so to see Google give us things like campaign-level conversion settings. Love it. Conversion value rules where we can say, oh, if it's a new customer, we're going to value it much higher than if it was an existing customer, right? Because we we want to consider the prospective lifetime value of this. Um, And so they're just and and seasonality bid adjustments. So all these ways to give better data into the system and connect it to the automated bidding systems, I'm excited about because again, I yeah. fundamentally believe that Google has the amazing technology and it's pretty expensive to build machine learning
0: systems. Absolutely. But
1: many of us don't have the resources or don't have enough data. So if we can give more of our goals and what actually matters to Google, um, they're going to do better for us and that's going to benefit us.
0: Yeah. I love it. And then one of the, the cool kind of subsets of that is you, you talked about conversion tracking going down for a season and, it's not that uncommon. You have a developer working on your site, you lose your conversion pixel or your conversion code for a few days. Now the system's getting bad data. Now the smart bidding algorithm is saying, oh, these keywords aren't working. This this bid isn't working, but it's based on bad data. So you can also, you'll be able to uh, go in and, and tell the smart bidder to ignore certain time periods or focus on certain time which that's really interesting as well. Exactly. And one of the things that I'm excited about uh, related to what you said is... You know, occasionally we'll want to have different campaigns with different goals. So, as an example, we may run some YouTube ads, and really all we'd like to do is get someone to sign up to an email list or, or, or just get started in the process. Um, but you can't, currently, you can only really have one conversion uh, action, or, or if you have multiple, then you, you have no control over it. Um, if you're bidding for a target CPA, it's whatever conversion action you have in the account. But soon you'll be able to do that at the at the campaign level, where you can say, "Hey, for this campaign, optimized for signups; for that campaign, optimized for purchases." And that's going to be, in some ways, a game changer. I think it's going to help a lot.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
0: So, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, cool. So, what what advice would you give to either the agency owner or the marketing professional, e commerce store owner? What should we be focusing on now? So, where? So is, the, is AI and machine learning out to take all of our jobs? Um, where should we be focusing to kind of future-proof our existence and to be the most useful that we can be?
1: Yeah, so the AI is here to take our jobs as we know them today. Yes. But it does not mean there's no future path for us, right? So Hal Varian, Google's chief economist, he has this great quote, and it was actually in context of Google Analytics, but he basically said, Uh, complement technologies that are becoming abundant and cheap, don't compete against them. And I think that's the same point here, right? So automation, artificial intelligence, bid management, it used to be something where you'd have to go to a third-party vendor, spend a lot of money on it. Google's now doing this for free. But your client still needs to get guidance as to which one to use. You become a doctor, you prescribe Mm. the right medicine. Uh, now you got it up and running. Now you need to be the pilot. You need to stay on top of monitoring it, making sure it's actually doing what it's supposed to. And sometimes if you see a competitor making a stupid move or making a mistake, like you should jump on that. You're, a, you're not a commercial pilot ensuring the safety of everyone on the plane. You're a fighter pilot. You're going after the weaknesses of your competitors. Uh, and then we have to be teachers. That's mm-hmm. the third rule. So machine learning doesn't just happen by itself. It needs to be taught based on goals, based on you know, what conditions we need to look at. And we, knowing our businesses, knowing our clients, we have a leg up. Right? So the, here, here's a premise. You could say we're going to just let the machine learn in a reinforcement type method. So you may have seen these videos where Google has taught a computer to play a game, like uh, where it bounces a ball off of a paddle to break the uh, the brick wall. Okay, So it's reinforcement learning. So it, it's quite good, quite quickly. But What people don't talk about is if you apply that same sort of reinforcement learning to PPC, it is spending real money to learn things. And it's spending money on ridiculous things, Mm -hmm. right? Ridiculous queries in ridiculous regions where nobody would have any idea of buying. Um, And we as agencies, while we can say, let's start from a point where we're pretty sure we're going to get good results and then let the machine help us, right? And then how do we get the machine to be better? So the machine is not going to be great by itself. We need to be teachers to it. Um, and that's sort of the third role that I envision for people.
0: Love that. Love that teaching teaching the machine, guiding the machine. Uh, I coach basketball, and and I, and I like sports, so I, I think a coach analogy is pretty good as well. Where we look at you know, if all if you look at at tools and AI and machine learning, all of that is like a player on your team, and and you're you're the coach that's orchestrating that a little bit, and and not asking too much of any one tool. Right on the on the basketball floor. I'm not asking my my six eight center to bring the ball up the court because uh, that's not what he's good at. I'm asking my point guard with wicked handles to do that, right? So you're 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 directing and and guiding, and it, it is definitely true that the the machine can get off the rails a little bit, and so yeah. you need to be there to direct it. And then I think also, just going back to and you mentioned this before, the machine doesn't understand your business, so thinking about being strategic and thinking about. Business goals and and how all where should we go as a business and you know are trying to reach this level of sales then what audiences should we go after and how do we structure this and put it all together and so I think it's really just shifting more from a tactical hey I'm an awesome bid optimizer I bid up and I bid down like nobody's business well that that job's going away <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, or if you're the third party tool and I and I was talking about this a couple of years ago there's a couple of pretty good tools out there that would do bid optimization and my feedback was they're in They're toast. I mean, that's yeah. like Google's going to be doing that. Google's got more money and they're going to do it for free just like you said. So uh, moving to more of a strategic focus as well yeah. is huge. And, so,
1: and Maybe I can plug my tool at this point here, right? But, but I mean, what you just yeah, said, like, to. yes, if- when we built Optimizer, I was already convinced like we don't want to be a bid management company because I've yes. seen so many bid management companies fall by the wayside because it's really hard to compete against Google and especially when they're going to do it for free, right? So, yep. but what we're thinking about much more is like this automation layering, like taking your process, it. turning it into something more structured. Yep. Uh, and and if it's more structured, it also becomes more scalable. It means you're going to have more consistent results across your book of business. Yeah. Um, so you have less churn, you have happier clients. Plus, you take back some time, like you said, now you can do strategic work instead of tactical work. And that's a huge value
0: add. Automation layering, I love it. And and Optimizer is an incredibly powerful tool. It's won several awards. Who did you really design Optimizer for? Is it more for the agency? Is it for the business owner? What what was it kind of built for?
1: Yeah, it's agencies and in-house teams. So it's not... It's certainly not for someone who says, hey, listen, I've heard that PPC is something I should do, so help me do it very easily. It's more like if PPC is your job, whether that's on a big in-house team or as part of an agency, you just have certain methodologies you know you should be doing, you want to be doing, and they're very tedious to do through the Google interface because the Google interface, unlike ours, is built for the masses. Ours is built for that PPC professional. Yep. Um and so, if you want to do single keyword ad groups, super easy if you want to do specific shopping campaign structure buildouts like I've literally taken a week to do one manually. I was like, my God, this is ridiculous. So we built yeah. a tool that can do the same thing in about two minutes yeah um, and that's what it's all about
0: it's amazing and and automation layering that's going to be a thing for the foreseeable future right that's that, that's going we're going to need our automation to help keep the machines in check. And we've looked at a lot of softwares and, and of course, you know, I manage several PVC specialists and, and everybody speaks highly of Optimizer. Thank you. Good reason. It's it's a well-designed uh, tool for sure. So what, where can people find out more about Optimizer? And then I want to talk about the book. Just really quick. I know we kind of talked about it as we went, but I want to plug that real quick as well. But where, where can people find out more about Optimizer?
1: Yeah, we don't have the most logical spelling, but it's uh, O-P-T-M-Y-Z-R. Uh, but if you do some misspellings, we usually have those domains too and we'll take you there. And of course, close variants from Google. Variants. <laughs> exactly. Google, Google's get got
0: as well. Yeah, All right. Yeah. And so check it out. We'll, I'll link to it in the show notes as well. So it'll be at ecommerceevolution.com. Check it out there. Uh, and then the book. So AI and the Future of Marketing. You got to get it. Um, it. It's just, this is where things are headed. I love your analogies. I love where your head mm-hmm. is with this. You're obviously uh, deep, uh, you got deep understanding, deep knowledge here. Uh, but where can people find the book? So it's on Amazon. So uh,
1: digital marketing in an AI world. It's available as an actual paper book, about 250 pages. And we also have the Kindle version. Um, there's a primary place to buy it. Amazon does some pretty good discounts on it usually. Um, and the pricing is actually up to them. So reset the publisher price, but Amazon does the discounts that they think uh, will get people to buy and then you can also find it on Google Play, on uh, Barnes and Noble. So it's it's kind of syndicated everywhere, but Amazon's the primary place.
0: Awesome. Yep, I snatched up that as soon as you sent out the email. several weeks ago, I uh, snapped up that Kindle edition uh, right away and started the book. I'm excited to to finish it. So, yeah. um, and
1: I don't know if I if you do this for your audience, but I can certainly give you a couple of codes for some uh, Kindle editions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe absolutely. If, uh,
1: people want to reach out, we'll do a drawing and give away a couple of copies.
0: That'd be, that'd be great. So to so do a couple of uh, uh, couple of freebies there. So uh, g- head to the show notes, look at ecommerceevolution.com for this show. I'll have some instructions there on what to do. And we'll give away a couple copies of the book. That will be fun. And so, uh, Fred, man, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming yeah, thanks, on. Thanks, Brett. Always yeah. a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Excited to see you at the next Google event or, or wherever our paths might cross. I know you're always speaking at, at big marketing events, which, which is awesome. And so with that, Frederick Valleys, ladies and gentlemen, go check out the book. Check out Optimizer. Uh, and with that, until next time, thank you for listening. All
1: right, man, it's a wrap. That was good.